0: Um, You know, this was the second week, of course, of our our new schedule. First of all, I want to talk to you uh, Latter-day Saints, the folks that come for the second service. Um, You guys are at a very distinct advantage, and you guys did come in this morning uh, with a few cups of coffee under your belt and ready to go. Now, you 8.30 folks. I hope you're awake tonight, man. I I mean, I was like, did your dog die? What what has happened to you folks? You know, we started this morning with Celebrate Jesus, and... I mean, the look on the face, and I knew we were in trouble then. Let me encourage you. Get addicted to coffee, okay? (laughs) Okay. But, you know, I, I I'd want to just say, you folks that are in that 830 service, you, and I think you guys chose that. That's why you're, you're there. Really, come in ready to roll, okay? Come in ready to get something and come in ready to worship. That's, that's why we're here. We're not doing this to put our time in. You see, now, the, the second church, the Latter-day Saints folks, what they say about y'all is y'all just want to come in and get it over with. And I don't believe that about you, okay? But, uh, but I do think it's important when we, when we come together that we come prepared and from the very beginning and we come to lift our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and to honor him. But uh, we had, a, had a, another great day. If we would, again, if we would have tried to put everybody that was here today in this one room, it couldn't have happened even again today. And uh, so we praise the Lord for that. Now this week, we, uh, we still have uh, the evangelistic services that we're working. Make sure that you get cards out there tonight. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about the fact that if the whole Jesus deal is real, why do so many of his followers seem so phony? And this is just a way for us to articulate the fact that one of the objections to Christianity is obviously there's just so many hypocrites. And so we're gonna we're gonna just just like we've been doing, just address the issue head on, and uh, so use every opportunity that is available to you to be able to get someone to to join with you uh, in those those services. And that's what these services are designed for. Uh, we hope that you're over the whole thing of the, so many hypocrites. Okay. This is for you to use this as an opportunity to talk to other people that might have that as an objection to Christianity. But open your Bibles tonight to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20. And we've uh, we, we've been at Revelation chapter 20 for some time. Not, uh, God just kind of took us on a little aside there for... Uh, several weeks, as in about eight or nine, um, and we're back into the flow of this thing. But in Revelation chapter 20, what this is, is the time above every other time in all of the annals of human history when God has just been screaming out a message of this day all the way through the Bible. You know, it was an amazing thing. I, I, I was reading a commentary on Revelation chapter 20 this week, and what he started out with is, this is the only chapter in the Bible that talks about the millennium. And I, I about fell out of my chair, man, because just about every chapter in the Bible is about the millennium. Now, It doesn't refer to it like it does in Revelation chapter 20 by the thousand years that it's found six times in there. But this whole book has been all about this time. And you know what is really true? Even lost man has longed for the millennium all of his life and all down through the centuries. Now, what he's looking for is not the same thing that, he's, that, that Jesus Christ is going to establish on this earth. But all the way down through the annals of history, this has been something that man has been longing for. And maybe something in our recent history might just spark your mind to that. Obviously, we would not agree with anything whatsoever that John was singing about there. But did you see all the way through it? What he's looking for is a world where everybody's just each other's brother. And we all are able to live in peace. And his answer to it was, you know what, if we could just get this thing of heaven and hell out of the way and all the religions of the world, we could probably pull this thing off. Now, obviously, that's from the pit of hell, but man has this insatiable desire and hunger for what God is going to establish on this earth. Let me use another little way to show you somebody talking about that kingdom that's going to come to the earth. ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Again, it's that whole idea that one of these days... One of these days, we're gonna finally get into this thing, and and there's gonna be peace on the earth, and and there's gonna be longevity. And you know what? What we're gonna see in the next several weeks. That's one of the characteristics of the millennium. Folks are gonna live a long time, and there is gonna be that that peace. But, but you know what? What's real interesting? When you go to the book of Revelation, last week we began to look at the preview of this this chapter. This thousand-year period, we saw that in the first three verses, he lays out for us the removal of Satan, then in verses 4 through 6, the reign of saints, and then in verse 7, the return of Satan, and then in verses 8 through 10, the revolt of society. The removal of Satan, the reign of saints, the return of Satan, and the revolt of society. And, you know, as I've been preparing for this, and we have spent as a church so much time in the book of Revelation, coming through chapters 6 through 19, where he's brought us four times through the tribulation period. Hey guys, we know some stuff about the tribulation period, because God's shown it to us four times, and it's taken us forever forever. Almost seven years of tribulation to get through the seven years of tribulation as he spells those those things out in those chapters. We know a lot about the tribulation. We're entering into some territory here where I don't think, as a church, we we know a whole lot of stuff about what the millennium is actually going to look like. And the thing that is so bizarre about this is God comes to this place in the Bible. Now, he's taken, really, from chapter 4 to 19 to talk about that seven-year period of tribulation. Now, we come to this thousand-year period. Okay, seven years here, thousand years here, and he's going to cover it in ten verses. And what is so weird is the thing that makes this time so incredible is not just the fact that Satan is removed and Satan finally gets what he deserves. But this is the time when Jesus Christ finally gets what he deserves. And you know what? You come through all the ten verses and you can't find that in there. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, so what is up with that? I mean, God is going to, in the final book, he's going to lay this thousand year period out and he's really not going to talk about What is the most significant thing about it? The rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ and him finally getting the glory that he deserves. You can look at that outline and see there's not much about him that's in this thing, and I've been asking, why? And I believe the reason for this is it's because God has been covering it from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to this point, and he says, oh, and this is going to be happening too. And so what I'd like for us to do, now last week we talked about the removal of Satan, and it was fun, and uh, I'd love to preach it again. In fact, if you guys get bored tonight, I may just kick into it, and we'll have some more fun there. But tonight, what I'd like for us to begin to do is to just, let's get a, a crash course in the millennium. And let's just find out biblically, what is this time really all about? And then we'll kick back into our outline, and I think it'll make a whole bunch more sense. You see, the struggle that I have faced in this thing is that if I just teach the material here, and we move on, and as I've told you, I'm very anxious for us to get on through the material in the book of Revelation. But I'm concerned that as a church, we're going to know all this stuff about the tribulation period, all the ins and outs of it. And when it comes to the millennium, we're going to know these four points on this outline. And so we're going to begin tonight what I'm calling a, a crash course in the millennium, and, uh, or on the millennium, and then we're going to come back and finish the outline, and, and I think we'll have the, the full meal deal at that point. And to begin tonight, what I'd like to do is turn to the first inference of the millennium. And most of the time when we're talking about the... The first of something in the Bible. We talk about the first mention. I'm calling it the first inference just for the the simple fact that the word millennium is not found here. The word thousand years is not used here. The word kingdom is not used here. But if you go to Genesis chapter two, and I want you to, if you would, Genesis chapter two, God begins to talk about the seventh day, and look at what he said in chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Okay, now let's just look at the description of this day, looking on your outline, number one, this is a day that God willfully and purposely set apart, that's what the word sanctified means, he set this day apart unto himself. You know, if you just verbalize what I just said, what this day actually is, is the day of the, it's the day of the Lord. Because he sanctified that day. He set that day apart unto himself. Number two, it's a day God willfully and purposely chose to bless. Which is something that was not stated on any other of the days. Number three, it is a day that has no evening or morning. Most of you are very aware of this. As you come through chapter 1... And God is bringing you through the creative week, through those first six days, at the end of each day, after the first six days, he says, and the evening and the morning were the first day, the evening and the morning, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, we come to the account of the seventh day, and all of a sudden, God breaks his pattern, and as Bible believers, anytime that the patterned, ordered, creator God of the universe steps in and breaks his pattern, it's... It's God's way of putting an exclamation point. It's God's way of taking a yellow highlighter and saying, you better be looking around here at this. Here is a day that has no record of an evening or morning. And then number four, it's a day that is designed as a day of God's rest. And is there anybody in this room tonight that thinks that the reason that God designed this day as a day of rest is because he got tired? I'm just worn out from all this speaking stuff into existence that's been going on these first six days. No, again, it's one of these things that God willfully and purposely designed to set this day aside as a day of rest. And when you take these days as they first appear in the scripture, most of you could teach this right along with me. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, God comes along and he says, Okay, now guys... Don't be ignorant of this one thing. Don't miss this. (laughs) Make sure he has our attention and he says that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day and if you plug that into the equation of the first time days appear in the scripture where we are right here in Genesis chapter 1 in verse 3 all the way to chapter 2 in verse 3 and you plug that into the equation what you see is that there are 7,000 years represented, 6,000 years of human history, and then one that seventh day is a thousand-year day. And what is unbelievable about this thing is if you look at the description that I just gave to you in number 1, 2, 3, and 4, the thousand-year day that we're talking about in Revelation chapter 20, this is the biblical description of that day. This is the day that the Lord set apart. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day he chose to bless because his son is going to rule and reign over the entire earth. It's a day that has no evening and morning, and it is the time of rest on this planet. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9 talks about that time of rest. Okay, so the first time that we see this thing in the Bible, we, we can't even get in, uh, as far as the second chapter before God has laid out this, this period of time that we see in Revelation chapter 20. Now let's, let's talk further about the timing of the millennium. The timing of the millennium. Now, this timing, and we've already made an inference to it, but we're going to kind of go off on a little tangent here with this thing. Letter A, the timing of the millennium is determined by the days in the creative week. And again, we've already talked about the fact that there was, according to 2 Peter 3.8, a day is as a thousand years. You plug that into the equation, and you've got this thousand-year period that Revelation chapter 20 talks about and happens to mention six times in Revelation chapter 20 in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and 7. Unbelievable how God just kind of does that thing. But what you find in Genesis chapter 1, or Genesis chapter 2, is that God lays out for you this first week. And we've talked about this in numerous occasions Because it shows up over and over and over in the Bible that God works according to a pattern of seven days. But as you go further in the Word of God, what you find is that God works according to a pattern not only of seven days, but also of seven weeks. And then thirdly, you find that He works according to a pattern of seven months. Then you find that God works according to a pattern of seven years. And then you find that God works according to a pattern of seven weeks of years. And like we saw this morning, God works according to a pattern of seven decades. And what we find right here is God works according to a pattern of seven millenniums. Okay? Seven thousand years. Okay? Now, on your study sheet, I want you to look at look at that chart. And I want you to fill in the, the days. At the, the top of the circles. Just go day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then the circles. The first thousand years, the second thousand years, the third thousand years, the fourth thousand years, the fifth thousand years, the six thousand years, the seventh thousand years. Okay? And then at the completion of the seventh, thousand years, you know what happens? You start over again. It's the new heaven and the new earth. And God not only illustrated that all through the Bible, he also illustrated it in music. You know, you can go over to the to this piano over here. Uh, Sue remind me, how many how many keys? Eighty eight? Eighty-eight keys on that piano over there. But on those eighty-eight keys, do you realize how many notes there actually are? There's not eighty-eight. There's how many? There's seven. And someone that's astute in music said, oh, no, it's in octaves. It's in eight. But you know how it goes? It goes like this. C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. And what it does is it gets to that point and it starts over. You count seven. And then you start over. Do you remember when you were growing up in school, you learned about the fact that your body changes once every seven years? Every cell in your body is made over once every seven years. Yeah, just another one of those little coincidences of life that just kind of happen that way, I'm sure. But what you find in the Bible is God counts seven, and then he starts over. And the number eight in the Bible is the number of new beginnings, okay? The eighth day is the beginning of a new week, but we call it the first day in the same way. It's the same note as C on the the octaves. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, which is the eighth day. His resurrection is what gave us a a new beginning in Second Peter chapter two and verse five it says Noah, the eighth person. His family consisted of eight people, and they populated the new earth after the flood. It was a new beginning for the human race. David just happened to be the eighth son of Jesse, which marked a new beginning for the nation of Israel. And uh, you get the point. I mean, we could go on and on and on, with how God just shows you that thing. But there's something else here. There's another pattern. Look look at your chart. You you come out of that recreated earth. That's what's taken place in Genesis chapter 1 on those first six days of creation. But you count 1, 2, 3, 4, and Christ, and then 1, 2, 3. Okay, do you see that? You have four millenniums, then Christ, and then three more. And what's interesting about God's pattern of seven is that it, you begin to look at it in the Bible, and you begin to see this pattern of four and three. For example, there were seven Jewish feasts, but if you look at what, how they come in the Bible, you see that they come in a series of four and three. First, there was the Passover, the Unleavened Bread, the first fruits, and Pentecost, those four. And then there were the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Tabernacles, four and three. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, you guys know this very well because we've, we've studied this quite a bit. There's seven churches that he talks about, and yet as you see as they're lined out, they come in the series of four and three. 4 in chapter 2, 3 in chapter 3. Now, go, are you guys still in Genesis? Okay, in Genesis chapter 1, now, what I want you to do is just kind of look at your chart, and look at your Bible, and just see how you do it juggling here. But check this out. The first day, verse 3, God says, let there be light. Okay. The, the second day, verse 6, God says, let there be a firmament. The third day, verse 9, he divides the waters on the earth from the dry lands. The fourth day, verse 14, God sets lights in the firmament. And watch what happens after the fourth day. And that fifth day begins in verse 20. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life. Okay, now look at your chart. The first time you see life on this planet is after the fourth day and the beginning of the fifth day. Do you see that? Strange coincidence, isn't it? And it lines up right where Christ came to the earth. In John chapter 1 and verse 4, it says of Christ, In him was life. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14 and verse 16, "I I am the life. Most of you are familiar with the the law of first mention. We talk about it a lot, and that's the principle that the first time that God uses a, a word or you see the mention of of something for the first time in the Bible, that God is establishing some key principle about that concept that you're going to see as you trace that thing through the rest of the Bible. And in verse 20, you have the first mention of life. Look at it again. God said, let the waters bring forth Abundantly, the moving creature that hath life. And you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10? I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And again, I, I think that's probably just a very strange coincidence that things like this work out in, in the Bible. Okay? Now, if you have a hard time with that, and I don't think that this is a group of people that does, but there are a lot of people that, that do, then you're probably really going to have a hard time with this. Okay, this is, now we're having fun. Okay, turn over to John chapter 1. Let me show you the time of the millennium. This is letter... B on your outline, I did give you A, didn't I? Okay, this is B, determined by the days in Jesus' ministry. We're looking at the time of the millennium, determined by the days in Jesus' ministry. And it's kind of a bummer because you've got your chart on one side, and I think this is on the top of your second page for those of you that are asleep right now. And... <laughs> Every once in so a while, just flip it back and forth. Everyone to think you're awake. All right? But, but I want you to notice in John chapter 1, in verse 29, it says, The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, in terms of our days and where we are on this church, that's Christ coming right there, indicated by that cross on your sheet. Okay? So you, you got to your place. In John 1, verse 29, that would be where we are there. Now, let's count the days. Verse 35 says, again, the next day, okay, so move over to that day right there after that cross on your chart, and look at verse 43, the day following, okay, and we move over one more day, and at the end of that day, somebody says in verse 49, look at verse 49, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art... The king of Israel. And you know what? That's exactly what the Jews are going to say at the end of the tribulation period. Right after that day that you're looking at on your sheet there. Verse 51. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And you know what that is? That's the second coming. And watch this. Chapter 2 and verse 1. And the third day, there was a marriage. Now, you see, this is what I was telling you about. You're going to have a hard time with it. Some of you are. And some of you are going, that's a cool book right there, man. It is just unbelievable what God, you know what? It's just like he makes sport of this. You know, watch this little deal. Watch what i do with these days here. I'm going to just, I'm going to show them through these days what's really going on in history. There was a marriage, and, and you know we've just covered this ground in Revelation chapter 19. Jesus Christ comes back to this planet, and when he comes back to this planet, he has a bride that's with him, and we eat the marriage supper of the lamb. And if you'll remember, we saw we're going to be eating that right here on this earth at the beginning of the millennium. But again, I think probably just another one of those strange coincidences there. Go over to John chapter 4. We having fun yet? Okay, John chapter 4 is all about Jesus dealing with the woman of of Samaria in verse 9. And just note here that, of course, she is a Gentile. Okay. Now, most of you are familiar with the story, but... After her conversation with him, she's convinced that he's the Messiah. Okay, look at verse 28. She goes and tells all the people in this Gentile city, and look at verse 40. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there, count them, two days. He's with the Gentiles For two days, and watch this, verse 43. Now, after two days, he departed thence and went into Galilee, verse 45. Then when he was coming to Galilee, and in case you're missing this, the Galileans are the Jews, and the Galileans, the Jews, received him. Okay, do you see that? He spends two days with the Gentiles, and then the Jews receive him. Now, in case you're missing it, 2,000 years of the church age where God is dealing primarily with the Gentiles. And after those two days are up, God is once again going to turn his attention to the nation of Israel. And they're going to look on him whom they have pierced. The nation of Israel is going to call upon their Messiah, which is right now our Messiah. Okay, so next, let her see. The time of the millennium is also determined. By the days in Hosea's ministry. Now, I'm just telling you guys, I know that this is, this is tough, and I know that if there were any Bible scholars or any seminary professors in this room tonight, they would be going, get me out of this place. But I'm just telling you, either God has laid this stuff out there to where idiots can find it or, and think they found something, or there's something there, but it's just all too coincidental that it all just lines up with the plan of the entire book. Do you agree with that? Well, I, it doesn't matter whether you do or not. It, it's in there. It's, it's Prego, man. It's in there. Okay. It's also, let us see, determined by the days in Hosea's ministry. Would you go back to... The book of Hosea. You may want to look in the table of contents at the front. That's all right. It's just home, folks. Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. And look at verse 2. After two days. He will revive us in the third day. He will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Okay, And if we plug those days into our chart after the coming of Christ, after two days, he'll revive us, the rapture. After three days, at the close of the millennium, we live forever in his sight as he raises us up to live in the new heaven and the new earth. The Next, the time of the millennium is determined by the transfiguration. And go over to Matthew chapter 16 for just a sec. Matthew chapter 16, we'll hit this one quickly because we've, we've talked about this in times past, but what we're trying to do is get the crash course and let you see that this book is all about the millennium. And that's why he doesn't go into the detail that he we would think he would go into In Revelation chapter 20, where he's actually just peeling off the time to talk about what's going to be happening, he's been talking about this all the way through the Bible. And again, we're just getting started tonight. In verse 27 of chapter 16, he says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. And then he makes this unbelievable statement in verse 28, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death, till they see the Son of Man coming... In his kingdom, he says, listen, the Son of Man is going to be glorified. He's coming back to this earth at his second coming. And when he does, he's going to set up his millennial kingdom. And he says, and some of you guys that are standing right here are going to be living when you see all of this take place. Now, he said this somewhere around 33 A.D. or so, which makes this a very complicated passage. And if you went to bed... After reading chapter 16, you'd go, hmm, I wonder what that's about. But don't go to bed after chapter 16, because chapter 17 comes along, and what he does is he takes Peter, James, and John up to a mountain, and what happens here is he rolls his flesh back to reveal who he actually is, and what he shows them is the glory that will be his when he comes in his kingdom. And it just happens to be that if Moses and Elijah happen to show up, the two ones that we saw in our study of the book of Revelation that show up just before the second coming of Christ. And here they are in this whole deal. And if you think that, well, that's your interpretation of the thing, when Peter writes about it in 2 Peter chapter 1, what he says is we're not talking about cunningly devised fables. We're not talking about stuff that we invented here. He says, I was an eyewitness of his majesty, the glory that will be his when he comes in his kingdom. And he says, when did we see that? When we were with him in the Holy Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. And he clearly identifies that he has already been an eyewitness to the second coming of Christ in the glory that will be his when he sets up his millennial kingdom. But notice when this actually took place. Verse 1. And after six days, look at it on your sheet there. Now, there's a little bit of a problem that that comes with that whole thing because over in Luke chapter 9 and verse 28, you know what? It it doesn't say after 6. You know what it says? In the same account of the transfiguration, over in in Luke 9, 28, what it says is about 8 days. Now, what is it, y'all, that's after 6 and is about 8? Okay. 7, right? About... Eight, and after, six. I mean, you could not miss it. If, I mean, if you tried, you could not miss that. Or how about this one? Letter E. The time of the millennium is determined by God's description of Enoch's life and ministry. Now, go over to the book of Jude for a sec. Just before the book of Revelation. You don't have an E? See, this is the problem of you not having the original manuscripts. (laughs) Why don't we make a letter E? You want to? (laughs) Determined by God's description of Enoch's life and ministry. Determined by God's description of Enoch's life and ministry. And in Jude, verse 14, check this out, y'all. And Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Now, why in the name of Pete did God throw that in there? And Enoch, (coughs) the seventh from Adam, you know, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Okay, now check this out. The seventh from Adam, and he's preaching about the second coming of Christ. And do you know what Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5 says about Enoch? Listen, by faith, Enoch was translated or raptured that he should not see death because God had translated him or raptured him enoch the seventh from adam was raptured a picture of those who would be alive at the rapture of the church who would not see death and he just happens to be the guy who was the seventh from adam okay so that's the the time of the millennium okay number three let's talk about the pictures of the millennium and again, realize we could only go so far tonight. This is not the crash course. There are so much that I, I can't wait for you to see about what this time is actually going to be. It's, it's, I'm telling you, it's more than you ever, ever imagined. I mean, there's some incredible stuff that we're going to see. But let's close out tonight looking at the pictures. We'll be able to do letter A real quick because we, we talked about this one th- this morning in our message. Letter A. One of the pictures is Israel in the early days of Solomon's reign. And you'll remember we talked about this this morning from 1 Kings chapter 10. What you've got is Solomon. Solomon is the son of David, okay? And I think that unless you're a new believer, you may already know this. Jesus is called the son of David. And what is happening in 1 Kings chapter 10 and 2 Chronicles chapter 9 is Israel's king, the son of David, is on the throne. He is a man of great wealth. He's a man of great wisdom. And the Gentile nations of the world are coming and bowing their knee before the king of Israel. And it's just a picture of exactly what is going to be taking place on this earth during the millennium. Again, Israel in the early days of Solomon's reign was a picture of that the second picture of that is the sun the s-u-n in john chapter 9 and verse 5 jesus said as long as i am in the world i am the light of the world but what happened is in acts chapter 1 and verse 9 the light of the world left this planet okay he, he, he ascended back to the Father's right hand. If you would have been there on that day as he was ascending up, you could have leaned over to your neighbor and said, uh, you know what, there goes the light of the world. Because he said, as long as he's in the world, he's the light of the world. And you know what, the light's going out right now. And you would have been right in saying that. Because what happened is we entered into the church age at that time, which is the biblical nighttime, and you can follow that all the way through the scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Romans chapter 13, the night is far spent, we're children of the day, we're not children of the night, though we live in the night, and watch out in the night, because the only two activities that are really going on is, you get real sleepy or you're drunk, so watch out in the night, that's, I mean, that's what he lays out for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're living right now in the biblical nighttime of Christianity. Okay? It says in Philippians chapter 2 in verse 5 that we as the sons of God, those who have been born into a relationship with him, what has happened to us is now we shine as lights. It says in Philippians 2:15. We have no light of our own. We are not the light, but we shine as lights. Because the light of the world has gone, we're in the nighttime, and what is it that has no light of its own that shines in the nighttime? It's the the moon, and you see, in this nighttime, in this dark world, he has left us to shine as lights in the world. Even though we have no light of our own, we are to reflect the light of the Lord Jesus Christ on this planet in the same way the moon does. Okay? Okay? You come to Malachi chapter four and verses one and two, and it's talking about the day of the Lord. Now we're living in the nighttime, and you remember that day that we saw there in in Genesis chapter two verses one and three. There's a day that God's anticipating. There's a day that God blessed. There's a day that's coming on this planet, and all through the Bible, it's pointing to that day, that day, that day. And when Malachi talks about it in Malachi chapter four verses one and two, he says that the sun, the capital S-U-N, the son of righteousness is going to come and he's going to burn up his enemies and he's going to establish the day of the Lord. And every single day for the last 1, and something thousand days, you know what God's been doing? Every day that sun comes up, and every day that sun goes down, and it gets night, and there's something in the sky that shines as a light, and then here it comes. The day comes every day, and what God is doing is he's just showing you this is what's going to happen. You're living in the nighttime right now, but a day is coming that has no evening or morning, and the sun of righteousness is going to rise on this planet for a period of a thousand years, and then... One final picture tonight. And it's the word selah. S-E-L-A-H. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. And there is absolutely no limit to the amount of time we could spend looking at this. Now, for some of you that are, that are new believers... You have probably already fallen in love with the book of Psalms. Uh, The the great thing about the the, the Psalms is that every emotion known to man, you're going to find that in the Psalms. That's why people that are going through difficult times find so much comfort in the Psalms because, man, you can just get in there and just about anywhere you slice it, you can can relate with what is, is being said there. But the word Selah, and you understand that the book of Psalms is, I mean, if if we were going to use our English word for that, it would be the book of songs, okay? Now, you know, we had music here tonight, and if I were to pull some of the the music that... uh, the, the folks on the keyboard use what, you, what you'd find is you have, you know, this the score of music, and there's all these notes and chords that are there. And then every once in a while, there is written into this thing in, in music a rest. Okay, the word Selah that you find in the Psalms is in the midst of that song. What they're telling you is here was a rest in the music now. We've seen lots of coincidences here tonight. And another one of the coincidences that you find in the Word of God is every time that God takes that word selah, rest, and puts it in there, what God's doing for you is he is setting the context of what you're actually looking at. And yes, there was a historical context to it, but what he's doing, he's saying, now what I'm doing is I'm just painting you a picture of a time on this planet when there is going to be a rest, that time is the millennium, okay? And what is, you know what, once you see this, the Psalms will never be the same to you again. You know what, before I learned this, you know, I, I, or after I learned this, I, I, I came to the point to where I said, what did I, what did I used to think this meant? Because, man, you, you look at it, and, and it is so obvious that he's setting that context for you as the millennium. Now, l- let me just show you wh- wh- what I'm talking about. L- look in Psalms 3. Psalm 3. Now, you understand the sequence. The rapture is going to take place, which ushers in the period of tribulation. The nation of Israel is... Uh, Satan is going to come on full bore on the nation of Israel... And all of the nations of the world, by the time of the end of the millennium, are going to be coming upon the nation of Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. And boy, when it looks like there is no hope whatsoever, all of a sudden, Revelation 19.11, heaven opens, and Israel's king comes out on a white horse and comes down and blasts them to kingdom come. Okay? Literally. Okay? And and watch this now. Psalm 3. Lord... How are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there's no help for him in God. Selah. Here's Israel at the tribulation period. Oh, what are we going to do? Oh, there's no help. Bam! The Lord Jesus Christ comes. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Do you understand this? You see it? You don't. Tribulation period. They compass the nation of Israel. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the, the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah, rest. Are you here? Okay, look in Psalm 7. Verse 5, Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it, yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord. He set that context for you. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger, lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about for their, their sakes, therefore return thou on high. And again, it is exactly what is going to take place during the tribulation period. The Lord comes back to set up the millennial kingdom. Chapter 9, verse 16. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of... Of his own hands. Higayon. And that is a, a place of kind of like an interlude in the music. A, a place of, of meditation on what he just said. And then here it comes. Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. And that will happen at the second coming of Christ, which ushers in the Selah, the millennium, the rest. chapter or Psalm 24. And this will be true in the millennium. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, the context hasn't been set for us yet. Okay? Obviously, we're here because it's in here. Okay, And you see, the way that it works for me, I'm reading along in the Psalms and I come to the Selah. You know, immediately, what I'll do is just go back up. Because I know what I'm dealing with now. And go back up and just see what God is showing me about the most incredible time that's going to be on this planet. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. This is the generation of them that seek Him, that seek Thy face, O Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, ye gates, Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Here it is. Selah. The King of glory is going to come to this planet, and he's going to rule and reign, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. And So those are the the pictures of the millennium. Now next week we'll we'll continue on in our crash course of the millennium, and then we'll come back to to Revelation chapter 20. Lord, thank you so much for a book that is is so simple that if we'll just believe what you said, it it shows us incredible, incredible things and. And we praise you for that. We long for the day when you'll set that kingdom up on this earth. And Lord, for those that may be in this room tonight that have never come into a relationship with you, people that at this point will not be citizens of that kingdom, but people who will have your wrath poured out on them during the tribulation period. Lord, I pray that even tonight... This might be the night that their eyes are are opened to you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords that has left on this earth an incredible book. A book that contains and is the very word and words of the living God. And Lord, I pray that you might take those words and by your Spirit tonight, convict people that are outside of a relationship with you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Bring them into that relationship with you. We ask these things for your glory's sake. Amen.